Good evening, everybody. It's my extreme privilege to introduce our speaker for this evening. Um, many of you may not have met her yet, and that's okay because you will know her after tonight. Um, our speaker this evening is Katie Henry Murad, and she and her family have been with us for about the last six months. Um, she and Nick have two kids, Jude and Esther, and they are just amazing. Katie, they come to us from North Carolina, so their accent is my favorite. And Katie is a pastor in the Progressive Baptist Church. Have you ever heard of this amazing? amazing unicorn of a denomination. So Katie is going to um, be taking us through our next chapter in our book, It's Not You, It's Everything. Can you put your hands together for Katie? Oh God, it's been a long time since I've done this. So I'm like just trying to like not freak out. So if you see my neck getting red, that's literally like my anxiety coming out of my body. And that's fine. Um, so, and I, I was telling Nick earlier, Nick's my husband, I was like getting ready at like three o'clock because we had gone to a pool as, um, as a family and I was, my hands were shaking and I was like, oh my gosh. And he was like, why are you nervous? You know, no one is going to like think anything poorly of you. Like this is a welcoming place. And so I'm grateful that when I look at your faces that I feel that, like no one looks like they're already mad at me. Um, <laughs> So I am really, really grateful to be here. Like Maggie said, we moved here in the summer of 2019 for my husband's job and our, our son Jude was six months at the time and I was like, oh, let me just like stay at home, wait to get back into work until after kind of Nick's job settles down. And so at Christmas of 2019, we were like, yeah, I think we're at like a good place now. We can start plugging in and then 2020 was like super chill for our family and like nothing happened. <laughs> Probably how 2020 was for you. Um, so obviously we didn't get plugged in anywhere. I didn't get back to work. All of those things that we wanted, we kept having to like put to the back burner. And that was really, really hard for us. Like North Carolina is all that we'd ever known. Both of us grew up there, had only ever lived in North Carolina. And we were like, let's move to Minnesota. Like, I mean, we like had to break out the map and be like, where is Minnesota? Basically, um, like we were super desperate in the middle of lockdown, like, both of us being huge extroverts, not being able to be around community, and especially we had really grown to love our like, faith community back in North Carolina, not having that here, it was really, really hard for us. Like We were desperate to the point that we were at a park one day with our kids, and my husband looked at me and he was like, babe, that couple over there looks super legit. The, the dad's wearing the baby, they're probably progressive. And he was like, and he has on cool shoes and a cool hat, I feel like we would really vibe. And he was like, I'm going to go up to him and ask him to be our friends. Because that's what you do as an adult. And so he, like, he told me, he was like, run to them. And I was like, I'm not going to run to two adults on a playground. But he did. And um, he finally got to them. And he said, he didn't know what to say. And he said, do you guys come here often? <laughs> and like, so the amazing thing is we've hung out with them like three or four times. So they didn't run because they probably should have. Um, I say that because we're very, very grateful to find this place, to find a place that's so welcoming and um, affirming and loving and just letting us bring like our whole selves to a community of faith. That's valuable and I want you to know that you have something very special here, which I'm sure you already know, but that's part of the reason that we found our place here. And um, I told Nick the other night, we went to a small group for the first time and afterwards like, we were texting some people we had met and I like gave Nick googly eyes on the way home and I was like, these are the people we're gonna spend the rest of our lives with, like raising our families together. So I'm like completely bought in. Um, but 
Just to say that the reason I bring that up is that I'm sure that you understand what it's like to feel lost, to feel isolated, to feel like, what does this all mean? Does this make sense? What is my purpose? And that's how I felt when I deconstructed my faith, which is the perfect way, if you don't know someone, to say, how did you deconstruct your faith? So um, that's what I want to talk a little bit about, because chapter six in our book for the summer reading um, talks a lot about this very thing. You know, Eric Minton talks about like releasing an old God and finding a new stranger God. And sometimes that's scary. And yet sometimes that God is the God that surprises us and the God that, in my experience, that's the God that I needed. And so to give you a little background of what, how I grew up, many of you, I don't know, who in, in here grew up like evangelical? Okay, so I'm not alone. Um, yeah, I grew up super evangelical, so Southern Baptist, not always progressive Baptist. Um, Southern Baptist, like walk the aisle, get dunked under the water, because it doesn't count if you're not all the way wet. That's what I grew up to believe. Um, like worked at camps in the summer where we would paint people's houses and then we would knock on doors to make sure they knew the Romans road, because that's terrifying when a 15-year-old comes to your house and wants to talk about that with you. Um, and then I went on later in college and worked at one of these said camps where like there was lots of fog, there was lots of like dim lighting, there was maybe some emotional manipulation of middle school and high school students to come down and accept Jesus, um, which I feel horrible about now. Uh, but then I was like all about it. Um, and so I was, I, I was just on this certain path that it was the right answers, right way to live, and that's what was important. Um, so much so that after undergrad, I went to divinity school and I did an internship and a residency um, as a chaplain in a hospital in North Carolina. And then since then, I've primarily worked in churches. So I've done like children's ministry and pastoral care and worship arts. So my job was my faith. So if my faith started to crumble, potentially my paychecks had to stop. So when Eric, when I read this chapter, what he was saying really resonated with me. Because I was like, oh, I sat in a room where someone told me that because I was a female, I had no position, no, no place to, me, to be in my position. And I had to step away from that job. So like, I, I know what this feels like. I know what it feels like to say in a room of people who believe very different things to you, like, what if Jonah's a metaphor? Like, could we just think about that? Or why are all these straight white men the only people that are in positions of power in this church? Or why is it, yes, or why is it that we're worshiping the Bible when I feel like the Bible keeps trying to point us to this God that can't be confined in the Bible? Um, I'm very passionate about that. If you couldn't tell, by the way, I said Bible. Um, but I just wanted, I wanted more. And I felt like I was in a place that they said, stop growing because if you keep growing, it's dangerous. And tonight, I would like to say, maybe that's exactly what making a, a lot of noise, I feel like, sorry. Um, but maybe faith is supposed to be dangerous. Faith isn't supposed to be mastered. It's something that is intoxicating and utterly alluring. And I don't think we're supposed to say, and that's enough, I'm, I'm at this place, I've arrived, and that's all I need. I think faith is constantly calling you forward. And if it doesn't, then I would say, that is that real faith? I, you know, in chapter six, Eric Mitten talks about um, sometimes when you tell people this, like when you say, hey, I'm having these questions about my faith, these things that I've been 
taught and told are essential to believe, to be a part of the club. I'm not sure if I can fall in line anymore. Um, he said a lot of people, the way that they deal with that is spiritual bypassing. Which he says spiritual bypassing is a way of using theology, God, or work to avoid the complicated reality of whatever pain is to making direct eye contact with you right now. I know I, I experienced that. People just kind of saying like, well, don't ask those questions, it's fine. Don't worry about it or pray about it. Um, and then he talks too about how we as Americans, especially white Americans, that we are continually chasing after this increasingly out of reach happiness. And like I said before, for me, that was like the right answers. The, the truth that I felt like no one would be able to chip away. And then I realized when I got off of that hamster wheel, that that really wasn't the faith that I wanted anyway. I don't know if you've gone through a, a time of deconstructing, of setting aside something that no longer serves you or a piece that you say, that's, that's not who God is because God is loving and beautiful and grander and I wanna follow after that God. Maybe that's been your experience. I, I wanna just take a few moments to say, let's just try to rethink faith and to think maybe we are allowed to ask the tough questions. We're allowed to wonder if it's all real. And I feel like this is the exact community to ask these type of questions among, to say like, what, what is the point of this? Um, I do also though wanna acknowledge that this is not an easy task, that you may have experienced this, you may be in the middle of deconstructing or you may have uh, done it a long time ago and this can be painful. So I don't wanna gloss over that and say, uh, you know, we've come out the other side and it's all rainbows and unicorns and lollipops. Like, no, this is, this is something that you can sever long held beliefs. And it is a loss of identity. Um, not only that, but if you've ever deconstructed your faith, you've probably lost relationships. Um, or you're in those relationships, but they feel very surface level now. You feel like you can't bear everything that you are. And that wounds you. So I don't want to say these things and make anyone feel like I'm invalidating your experience. Please hear that I know that this can be painful and I honor the pain, but hopefully you'll see that there is hope as well. So that's what I wanna to try to do today, just to kind of offer some hope because I really believe that it's in those moments where we tell God, I'm angry, I don't understand, where are you? I believe that that's when God comes to us and says, I was really hoping you'd finally get here. This is really the relationship that I wanna have with you now, where we don't have to pretend to be someone that we're not in front of the one who made us. And I have to say too that um, whenever I think of faith and doubt and trying to make sense of something that really isn't supposed to be able to fit into a neat little box, I think of the disciple Thomas. And Eric in chapter six, he references uh, the Gospel of John in chapter 20. And so I'd like to read that. I don't wanna read it all together because uh, that, that might make me really nervous and then I might actually say words that are not real words um, like I just did just then. Um, so I'll read it. So just listen and hear the gospel from John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side 
The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. For if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and I put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing in him, you may have life in his name. Y'all, I really love Thomas, so much so that our son's middle name is Thomas, right Jude? Yep, I don't know, what, I'm not sure what we're doing over there, but his middle name is Thomas. Um, and I think a lot of the reason that I love that name is like, here's this disciple that really gets a bad rep a lot of the time. I don't know if maybe you got that impression growing up in the church. It was like, oh man, Thomas just couldn't believe. You know, he didn't want to take his friend's word for it that Jesus had come back. Thomas is the one that just didn't have a strong enough faith. But I actually think that Thomas is rather admirable. I think that there are many things from Thomas that we could take and implement into the way we live. I mean, to start with, Thomas is bold. He just says straight out like, Jesus, here's what I need. I need you to come back. I need to see it for myself. I need to touch it. I need to hear it. I need to, to hug you. I need to be in your presence again. And the amazing thing is, is that Jesus never reprimands Thomas for asking this. He never says, Thomas, you really should have just understood that I came and I breathed upon your friends. I gave them the Holy Spirit and they had the authority to vouch for me. And I'm really disappointed in you, Thomas. But that's not at all what Jesus said. He just came back because that's what one of his followers needed. I mean, I think too that we, we tend to fault Thomas for his curiosity, but if you think about it, the majority of Jesus's ministry was asking questions. So, I mean, if you really wanna flip it on its head, isn't curiosity, asking questions, demanding to go further, isn't that taking on the behavior of our savior? to say, I don't wanna stay in this one place. I need this other thing. So I, I respect Thomas for just the boldness of saying, I'm not gonna just believe because someone says this is how it is. Maybe too, like, maybe Thomas wanted to know, like, how does his wounds feel? Like, what does someone look like after they've come back from the dead? I would love to see that, I don't know about you, but if I had the opportunity to, I'd be like, yeah, can you please come back? I mean, I also think Thomas, is the one that has enough courage to ask the questions that probably everybody would want to ask if they were brave enough. Like I feel like in that room, there was probably this collective exhale of like, oh my gosh, all of this isn't riding on us anymore. We can, we can be witness to this together. 
And one thing that I think is really amazing too about Thomas is I don't think he was trying to threaten anyone else's faith. Because I don't know about you, but as I deconstructed, I really felt that there were some people that like took offense to my deconstructing, which is super hard. Because <laughs> you want to say, if I, could, if I could wish away this pain or this journey that right now feels uncomfortable, I would. But I know that it's necessary. And so I don't think that Thomas was trying to threaten anyone. I think that he just said, like, this is what I need. This is what's important to my faith. And once again, I think that Thomas was a passionate person. I think he was committed to the person of Christ. So much so that do you notice that after Jesus came back and said, here are my hands, you know, touch my wounds. Here's my side. Touch where the sword went in. And you know, Thomas asked those things, and then he says, my Lord and my God. Like, that's a pretty strong proclamation of who he has now lived and experienced Christ to be. The one, he says, that I will follow, the one whose life I will model my own after, the one who will teach me how to live, the one who will ultimately redeem all of creation. So my prayer is that as we meditate on what it means to let go of that, as Eric Mitten has said, that old God, and reach out and find that new God, that stranger God, that is at times terrifying to do, but surprisingly beautiful. I hope that we realize that we can take on that same posture of Thomas, to question, to be curious, to want to know more. And the last thing that I'll mention is I was really struck by the fact that Jesus comes and meets them when the doors are locked. These people, rightly so, were terrified. These people had committed to follow this particular rabbi, and then he was murdered. And so they're hiding because they don't know what's going to happen to them. And yet Jesus came. And then again, when Thomas was with them the second time, the doors were locked again, and Jesus came. And that, to me, spoke to me saying, even when it's painful, even when it's scary, even when I'd rather lock the doors because I would just rather not address it, that Jesus comes and he gives me exactly what, he need, what I need. So I don't have to be afraid to ask. You know, I had this um, view of God growing up, that God was this white man with a long white beard and a long white robe that sat on like this marble throne and kind of like pushed the buttons and everything fell into place. And I had to let go of that God. But the more that I met that stranger God, the closer God got to me, to the point where I felt like God was down on God's knees, digging in the muck, the dirt of life, helping me figure out what it all meant and to continue to figure out what it means. You know, this, this God that I met, this stranger God, would cry with me. This God would laugh with me. This God would burn with rage over injustice alongside me. And this God tells me that I am a co-laborer with God to have heaven invade earth here and now. And so I don't want to go back to the old God because this God is grander. This God is good. And so once again, I want to say, if you are at a, a place where you are deconstructing, you are not alone. It may be hard, it may be painful, but I believe that God, that grand God, that new God is saying, I've been waiting for you the whole time. I didn't want to just live on the surface anymore. I wanted you to come 
and to show me that pain and that hurt, but then also for us to make something new and good. And also, I, I think that more than anything, God's saying, whatever you need, exactly what you need, that's what I'm here for. Like, I want you to tell me exactly what you need, just as Thomas did. So I hope that we can go out and do that, that we can say of God, this is what I need, and I know that you will meet me exactly where I am. And as I'm finishing, I did want to just read this prayer that I found in um, A Rhythm of Prayer. It's by Emmy Kegler, and I feel like it wraps this up nicely. It's called, For All the So-Called Lost. She references Luke 15, 8, which says, And what woman, if she had ten coins and lost one, wouldn't light a lamp and sweep the house and search diligently until she finds it? She later goes on and says, Jesus, I need to see the broom in your hands. I want to hear you turning over every empty pitcher and shaking out every neatly folded sheet. I need to see your belly pressed against the floor and your dark eyes peering into my own darkness. You know darkness, Lord. It doesn't scare you. You made it. Long before your hands were bound in wrinkles and veins, you crafted night and day, and you are afraid of neither. But I am lost and I am afraid. Lord, they call me lost, and if I am, I want you to find me the way you found the world. Nicked at the edges, rusty and dusty, called unwanted and unworthy, and still your hands reached out to cradle every worthless coin like each was a pearl of great price. Jesus, in this congregation of the forgotten corner, I am finding I am not alone. We are the church of the still lost and the lost and found. So when you come, bring a satchel, ready to collect what longs for home. Jesus, every sheep and coin and child that called, is called lost, may you pull us close and whisper, found. Thanks, Katie. While Katie was talking, I was thinking about how she started and then uh, landed. Releasing the old God and finding a new, stranger God. And as I was getting ready to come up and do words of institution, I was thinking about the disciples sitting around a table with Jesus. And I, I imagine that this new stranger God is who they were following. I mean, this God, when we think about the story of Jesus and how Jesus turned everything upside down. And isn't that then the life of a disciple? Isn't that the life of the, fa- of the faithful? Isn't that our call? And it is a life of evolving of continuing to release that old, old God and find this new, stranger, bigger God. And the beauty is, is that we get to do that together. And so when we come together on Sunday nights, one of our rhythms is taking part in communion together. And when we do that, we remember this new, stranger God that sat around a table with his disciples that had no idea what was about to happen the next day and he took bread and he broke that bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. When you take this, remember me. And likewise, he took a cup and he poured wine into the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you, the new covenant. And so as you all take your own cup, you can peel that back. There's a wafer right there on the top 
hear these words. The body of Christ broken for you. And as you drink from this cup, the blood of Christ shed for you. And it's a moment that we can come together and we can pause and we can wrestle and doubt and ask questions and be bold like Thomas because that is the life of a disciple. So please stand as together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Hey, um, I have to tell you, for me, I'm going to get choked up thinking about this. But when we get to hear it from someone like Katie, it gives me hope for the future of the church. Can we thank Katie for just her great message tonight? <laughs> I was thinking a bit about what it means to deconstruct faith and what it means to question and wrestle and how important it is to the life of faith because if people hadn't done that over the years, I think about the Katie's that wouldn't be preaching. I think about Maggie and I think about Marta and I think about all these women who were told they couldn't do it, that they didn't belong. And all of that, if you're ever told you don't belong, love is blinding, love is binding. We are unified by the love of God. And if it isn't a love that's inclusive of all people, at all times, we're not, we're not the kingdom of God, friends. And so your message was so good and such a good reminder that let's wrestle, let's question, let's move, continue to move toward like the beloved community that we're called to move toward. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So as we go, so good to be together on this very hot, sticky summer night. Um, we'll see you next week here again. But with that, um, please hold your hands out for our benediction. No matter who you are or what you've done, no matter who you love or what you've lost, no matter where you've been or the places you've stayed, you always have a place at the table because you are a beloved child of God and beloved you belong. Go in peace, and we'll see you next Sunday night.